Oh, so exciting. I wake up every single day and I feel like I'm on mission. And and I am. I mean, I want to change the world for women and I want to create new systemic and structural opportunities for women to build their careers in a way that works for them and their families. Hey there, I'm Mark Minner of First Person Advisors. Welcome to Human Resolve, the podcast designed for the unsung heroes of the workplace, HR professionals like you. Each time we gather, we cover the highs and the lows, hits and misses, and everything in between. Welcome you into another episode of Human Resolve. My name is Mark Minner, President Chief Strategy Officer at First Person, now a subsidiary of NFP. And as we welcome in our next guest, we are delighted for this conversation today. Teresa Tanner, uh, founder, CEO of Reserve Squad. Teresa, thanks so much for, for joining us here on the show. We've got a lot of really great topics to dive into, but for those who might be listening and saying Reserve Squad, I've, I've not heard of Reserve Squad. It's actually a pretty revolutionary business in terms of the way that you're impacting the workforce. How did you get the idea and how would you describe Reserve Squad? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I really care a lot about gender equity. I have my entire career. I spent 30 years in corporate America and I constantly saw the struggle that women have to grow their careers while they're also trying to grow a family. I also know the challenge that companies have of getting enough female representation at all levels of the company, especially in senior leadership roles. And so that mid-career problem is really what I'm trying to address with Reserve Squad. Women need more options on how to throttle up and down. And so Reserve Squad is a solution for companies to build a freelance framework and build a new lane for both women and men to um, have a different flexible way to work and then stay engaged with a company so that if they do decide to exit the workforce for a couple of years, women don't have to suffer enormous consequences. They can stay tethered to their company, stay contributing to their company, and then return to traditional work at some point. And this has been a long journey for you across a career. This is something that you've just started and it's an exciting endeavor, but something you've been passionate about for a while. If we flash back, you started your career in a variety of roles at one of the best known brands in the world, in McDonald's. Yes. What was that career like there, the career journey within McDonald's? Well, I got to tell you, I started working at McDonald's when I was 16 years old. For kind of the same reason a lot of 16-year-olds start work, to get that running around money and gas money and to have their first job. And I never in a million years anticipated that I would stay there for 18. But it was an enormously wonderful opportunity for me to build so many different skills. And what really attracted me McDonald's at a young age was the entrepreneur opportunities. I had an opportunity to meet one of the founding entrepreneurs that started with Ray Kroc many years ago and was just really inspired by that story and just began to grow with that company. Thought I would have a lot of restaurants at some point, but life didn't take me that direction, but did get to do a lot of things with them regionally, nationally and internationally. Just found myself following a path that was not traditional or not expected, but every door kept leading me to good opportunities. I'm sure at that age too, 
you're learning so many different things to be able to experience a variety of different leaders at a brand and a company of that size. You probably realize the things you liked. You probably realize the things you, you didn't like, but it just provided such an incredible learning experience from an HR perspective at McDonald's. What were some of the things that you were able to, to pick up on, on the way that they were able to manage a workforce that's so disparate, so broad, so just continuing to grow each and every day? Well, I spent the majority of my time at McDonald's in operations management, actually. So did not grow up, an HR professional grew up on the operational business side and was actually approached by HR in the in the 90s to do a rotation in HR. And I got to tell you, my first response was like, no, I why would I go into HR, right? I just didn't have a really good impression of HR. At that time, HR was very administrative, very bureaucratic, very process and rules-based, and wasn't really strategic. And as an operations leader, in fact, I sometimes saw HR as a barrier. And they said, no, 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 really why we want you to come over is because you lead from a people-first perspective, and you really understand how to leverage talent, and we want to transform HR. And that was the time when HR was really going through um, a huge transformation as a function, moving from that more administrative to a more strategic posture. And they had asked me to help lead that in that particular region. And I said, all right, I'll do it for a couple of years, but I want to path back into operations. I don't want to get stuck in this HR thing. And then I began working in that discipline and just fell in love, just saw how much opportunity there was to really teach managers and leaders how to lead with that that human first approach and really understand how to, to leverage talent to serve our customers better, to drive better quality, to drive better profitability. And it still, honestly, years later surprises me how many leaders don't lean into that very foundational truth? You know, we talk about people being our, our most important asset, but most people don't lead that way behaviorally. They don't lead like they believe that. So just really fell in love with the function. You know, it's an 18-year career at McDonald's and an incredible learning experience. You then stay in the corporate environment as you then go into another tenured career with Fifth Third Bank. And obviously, through your experience there, continued to climb in leadership roles throughout that organization. How did you get connected into Fifth Third and what was the journey like over there? Well, honestly, I spent about 11 months in between McDonald's and Fifth Third in a small bank, Provident Bank, and never in a million years did I think that I would work at a bank either. So never thought I'd stay at McDonald's 18 years, never thought I'd work for a bank. My career is one story after another of things I never thought I would do. But they all worked out and those risks really paid off for my career. But didn't think I'd want to work for a bank, didn't want to work for a bank. A friend of mine actually volunteered me to come talk to this bank executive who was looking for an HR job, went and talked to them and ended up being there. 11 months later, it was bought. So that was a whole new thing for me, entering a an industry that got bought and sold. That's nothing I ever worried about working for a global brand like McDonald's. And so then I went over to Fifth Third Bank and entered as an HR leader for Fifth Third Bank and continued to rise. I, I spent 15 years at the third, 10 of those years I spent in the C-suite. So within the first five or six years, was promoted to the CHRO, did that for about six years, and then expanded my uh, responsibilities into chief administrative officer and did operations, real estate, EPMO, marketing, a lot of other different things. 
at what point in your career did you start to realize the gender equity gap was a real thing? Was it at McDonald's? Was it? Well, sure. And it was when I was 16 years old. So at the minute I entered the workforce, I understood that things were different for women. It was just so obvious in so many different ways. And whether it was the unconscious bias, whether it was the overt sexual harassment and things like that, the, the language and things you were exposed to in the, in the work environment, you noticed it right away. And so I've known my entire career that as a woman, I needed to be aware of things. I needed to posture things differently. I needed to position myself differently. I needed to overcome certain barriers that other people didn't have. And so it was very obvious, even at a very young age, and I saw it manifest over my career in a lot of different ways. What emotion did that create for you? Did it, did it make you more motivated to make you angry about it? What's the experience when you start to realize that and just continue to see that each and every day that you're employed? Probably all the above, right? So, you know, a little anger, resentment, a little bit of a, this is BS kind of thing. But then on the other hand, it's also just resolve. It is, look, I, I have something to prove and I can prove it. And there are opportunities and talents and things that I can bring to the table because of my uniqueness and leaning into that. It's a little bit of both. But I do think we have opportunities to take out some of that tension, right? And and I have a daughter who is almost 30. I have a granddaughter who's two and a half. And I just, I dream of a world where they have less barriers than I had. And, you know, as we look forward 10, 20, and 30 years, what are the things that we can do today to change some of those outcomes? Because some of these barriers have been in place for for many, many decades and we have to, to think differently if we want to pivot away from that. I know your parents have been very instrumental in your upbringing. Did you ever reach out to them and, or who did you talk to from a mentorship perspective about some of those challenges that you were faced with? I was lucky to have a lot of, kind of friends and work mentors. I, I worked with a lot of great leaders at McDonald's and I just had had a good opportunity to work with some really good leaders early in my career, which I think makes all the difference. You know, I think that I feel bad sometimes when I hear career stories and people just have had one bad boss after another, a good boss, a good mentor, a good leader can really make such a difference in your career. And I was lucky to have that. My parents certainly were a piece of that. However, my parents grew up in a very traditional way with a very traditional point of view. And so but we had a, a really great and open relationship. And I remember having dialogue with especially my dad around this issue as my career grew. And we just had a lot of really good conversations. And I think that we were able to equally challenge each other's perspectives. Subscribe to the 11 out of 10 six star three thumbs up boost, a weekly newsletter for superhuman resource leaders that covers everything you need to know to take your HR career to the next level. Subscribe at firstpersonadvisors.com slash boost. You're in Fifth Third and you're climbing in the C-suite. What did you feel like your ability when you were in those positions were to be able to impact some of these topics that you're so incredibly passionate about? And did you feel like you were able to make the impact that you wanted to in terms of gender equity and, and helping promote women not just in the workforce, but in leadership roles and continuing to rise in their career? I, I think that definitely I had 
a new platform when I got to the C-suite and a new obligation, a new opportunity to give voice to some of those things that weren't being voiced. And I think so often it's kept a little bit under under the rug, right? We we struggle with it and you know, women talk about it amongst themselves, but we don't feel free to voice some of those things because we don't want to be viewed as it being a weakness or an additional handicap that we have. And so sometimes it's not spoken. So, you know, it gave me an opportunity to give voice, not only to myself, but to all other women um, who weren't speaking some of those things and raising awareness. And I was just really, really fortunate to to have an executive team and a CEO who wanted to hear those things and really leaned in to some of the opportunities in the workforce and was able to innovate some different programs and benefits and solutions for women that were revolutionary for our industry, for Fifth Third, and really helped move the needle. So certainly growing in position gives you more power, more influence, a bigger platform to make some of those changes. And it wasn't always easy at Fifth Third. There was uh, one incident in particular, 2018, in the lobby of the building with a gunman and obviously made not just local headlines, but but national headlines as well. An incredibly scary, traumatic situation. And and you're in a leadership role at that time. What was that, what was that day like? What was that experience like? And what was the healing process like after that for you? Yeah, it was... I think I can easily say the worst day of my career. I was actually on vacation. I was on the Oregon coast and um, it was earlier there. And I got a call and I actually was in charge of security. So that was one of the areas that reported to me as CAO. And I got a call from my head of security at the time and I'm sitting outside and I'm looking at the Oregon coast and the ocean and in the phone, I hear her say, we have an active shooter and I'm processing this. And I'm like, say that again, right? We have what? And she said, there is somebody in our lobby shooting at our employees and just time stood still, right? You're, you're kind of, you have this cognitive dissonance. You're looking at this beautiful landscape and you're hearing these words of tragedy. And I just felt just really overcome with fear and emotion and just trying to process it all. Of course, immediately got on a plane and returned and walked through that crime scene later that night and and saw what had happened. And the shooter ended up shooting five of our employees and three of them passed away. It was definitely one of the hardest things that I've ever experienced as a leader. And it was definitely, I think, one of the hardest things that we have ever experienced as a company, that Fifth Third experienced as a company and they're over a hundred years. And there's really nothing that that you can do to make sense of it, right? But you do have to quickly stand back and say, okay, this was awful and this was evil and this was hard and and grieve that moment and mark that moment, but then stand back up with resolve and say, this won't define us and this is not who we are and how do we help our employees um, find a place of healing and, and move on from that. And was really just so proud of the company on how we did that and how we paused to really take care of the things that mattered and helped our employees through that time. And, and it's still today, obviously you can probably hear the emotion in my voice. I mean, it is something I will carry 
with me forever. And I know our employees well. One of the survivors I spent a lot of time with, and, and she has become a great friend. She was shot 12 times and survived. And her resolve now to work on gun violence and really um, message what we can do as a society to, to heal and to to get to a new place on this is just inspiring. So I also feel like, although you never want these things to happen, we do have an opportunity to learn and be better and to grow and to help help humans be better in the future. Well, you can't even begin to imagine what that experience was like for anybody affiliated, certainly those in the building when that was going down. And I know you can absolutely hear that in your voice and, and you know the authenticity at which people deal with tragedy in many different ways and companies get exposed to that. And you know, the thing about tragedy is most every time you can't predict it, right? You know, it's not something that you can anticipate and say that it's going to happen on this day at this time. And here's how we're going to avoid. So you have to be, that's kind of where the cultural can buy. I think about your experience at McDonald's and this people first, this human first concept, you, you have to have the cultural fiber to help people work through that as a company. And you think about, you know, certainly a lot of tragedy this past year for so many organizations in so many different ways. And just, I'm sure, you know, you had leaders that reached out to you and, and companies that have tried to figure out how do we continue to help support our team and, and make that. But I know that you and, and that team did a lot for the employees and worked on that healing process. So I know there's a lot of people that are grateful for how your, your team helped manage through that in an incredibly difficult, traumatic uh, moment. And when you think about now experiences of seeing teams in a wide array, like what do you take away from a year like this past year, Teresa, when you see people go through different types of tragedy, whether it is families that have been affected by the pandemic, whether it's families that have been struck or distraught or caught up in the racial justice conversation and, and the murder of George Floyd and things. How do you, as a leader, counsel other leaders on how to help people through those difficult times and very difficult conversations, whatever they might be, whether it's a personal loss or a organizational loss or, or things like that? Two things come to mind. First, we have to lead with empathy. We have to to really sometimes just take our business hats off and connect as humans. And and we have to, to put ourselves in other people's shoes, to sit with them, hold space with them and listen. And, you know, I think, you know, going back to the shooting, that's what we tried to do when there were so many employees that were afraid. I mean, this happened in the lobby in which people swipe their badges in and come into work every day. And we had so many employees that were just so afraid to re-enter that space. And there were no words, nothing we could say to inspire them to fix it. There's no policy we could put in place. And so we just held space and we decided we did this big ritualistic thing where we had all of these huge canvases and we had all of this different color branded kind of finger paint. And we allowed people as they came in to dip their hand in the paint and just put their handprint on the wall and simply to say, like, it's just all of us together. And it was just silence. There wasn't a lot of talking. There was just people coming and dipping and putting their hand in. And, and we just held space for people to feel. And I think that, you know, when we think about what happened with the increased racial reckoning, racial reckoning that we, we saw last year, 
we needed so, so much to allow space for people to speak and for people to feel and, and to really listen in a way that we had never listened before and listen with empathy and really help to understand. And, and I would say the same thing about COVID and the pandemic. You know, this was hard on a lot of people and it was especially hard on women. We lost millions of women from the workplace. Their infrastructure collapsed and women who were trying to work and be educators and be daycare providers and keep themselves sane and sleep. I mean, all of that, it was just too much. Mental health became out of control last year. You know, um, domestic violence for women went through the roof. I mean, suicides increased. There was a lot of stress and pain last year. And I think that as employers, we just need to take time instead of saying, okay, here's our new flexible work policies, right? That's the easiest place to go, right? Is just make sure we're listening to our employees and saying, what do you need? And creating that space for them to speak and then leading with empathy. And I'm encouraging people all the time, like, all right, everybody's like rushing back with their plans to get back to work and how you're going to do hybrid and how you're going to do vaccines and whether you're going to have masks and distancing. All of those are important elements, but don't rush to that without really listening with empathy to what your employees need. Because if we do, we are going to rush past and people aren't okay yet. And infrastructure isn't back yet. And we have an opportunity to lead in a human way that really meets the needs of our people. Easy. Resolve Increments takes your favorite stories from Human Resolve and shows you how you can make a difference at your organization. Get your pass for upcoming virtual and in-person events at firstpersonadvisors.com slash events. Powerful. And you brought up the part there about women in the workforce, particularly this past year. Obviously, the domestic abuse increase is alarming on top of an already alarming situation to begin with. In addition to that, the workforce challenges, you look at the numbers in the rearview mirror here, not necessarily that we're all the way through the the effect of that, but the effect on working mothers, the effect on women in the workforce, it just exacerbates an already existent challenge. What are you hearing from women in the workplace who have been either displaced or left the workplace this past year as some of those primary reasons and, and concerns for getting back into pre-pandemic working relationships? Yeah, there's a lot I'm worried about. We've lost about two and a half million net women from the workforce. We are at the lowest workforce participation rate that we've been in in 33 years. So basically, my entire career has been wiped out through this pandemic. And so it's really alarming. A couple of things going on. I mean, first of all, industries that had the most job loss because of the pandemic were very heavily jobs, very heavily held by women. The problem is that a man for those jobs are going to come back before the infrastructure for women comes back. So we've lost a lot of daycare centers have just closed their doors. They've shuttered. There was a child care shortage before the pandemic. Now it's a child care crisis, which is why you hear a lot of talk out of Washington about this topic. And then education, even schools, all schools are not going back full throttle in the fall. So a lot of schools are talking about hybrid models. Well, this is a a huge effect and impact on women. And so I worry that even as the jobs start coming back, the infrastructure for women is not going to be back. And so disproportionately more men are going to be taking those jobs. And then for companies even that are offering these flexible work 
arrangements, which I love and I'm encouraging companies to do, we have to be careful that there's not an unintended consequence around how performance is viewed and access to promotions and access to special projects and visibility. We already knew that that was a problem with women before the pandemic. This could get accelerated. So we have to really be aware of what's happening. What will be the long-term tail consequences of this pandemic? So many people think, okay, we're going to get vaccines and everybody's back to normal. CDC, you know, restrictions are lifted. We're cool. We're not. There is long trailing impacts. You know, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, the disease is in remission, but we have a lot of long-term side effects that we're going to have to work through. And companies need to be strategic and conscious of these long-term impacts and how it is going to affect gender diversity and racial diversity going forward. And if you're talking to an employer and the employer is saying, okay, I'm probably not even aware of all of the things that I'm doing that are affecting this or maybe may not be, what advice do you have for an employer that says, you know, I want to be part of the solution here. I don't want to be contributing to the problem. What, what are some of the ways to start helping address that? Well, I think it's what we talked about before. I think first you need to listen. And every every workforce has a different composition, so there's not any one-size-fits-all. But really look at how are your new workplace practices affecting diversity? And, you know, are there a disproportionate rate of women, for example, who are choosing remote work? How are we going to make sure that there's no unconscious bias? Are we looking at year-over-year performance reviews and measuring the impact? So, you know, one of the things I've encouraged people to do even for 2020 is to go back and look, did average performance increase or decline? And is there any kind of gender disparity or differences in those things? So really being thoughtful and looking at, okay, how do we manage and make sure that we are an inclusive environment? You know, we all kind of went through that strategic shift away from diversity and into inclusion and leading with inclusion. Well, what does inclusion look like when you've got this dispersed workforce? And so there's just a lot of things. We we are built to manage employee engagement and manage culture and feeling of belonging. We we are built to manage that in a very uh, on-site type of work environment. Well, I don't think we're ever going to go fully back to that. I feel like 2020 has forever changed that employer and employee expectation around office hours, remote work. Well, how are we going to shift to do that? And we can only figure those things out by really looking at the data and seeing how our new policies are affecting diversity and then listening to our employees. If you get serious about it and you get focused on it, you can make an impact now. Let's pivot that to your team. Okay. So you you have had this career. By the way, I love how you said, you know, basically a career full of things you didn't expect to take place, potentially including starting a business, founding an organization. However, you know, it builds off of the career that you've had and and the passions that you've had. You decide to start Reserve Squad. How'd you decide to really start it? What were those conversations like with your family, with friends, with mentors? And what do you see as the opportunity for Reserve Squad to be able to support and lead in addressing that challenge? So I left this big successful career because I knew that there was something around gender equity that I wanted to do more of, bigger, broader. And I knew that it would most likely be around this mid-career cliff that we see. And 
almost every industry, every company experiences it. You have great diversity at the lower levels. You get to this mid-career, then there's this huge cliff, and then you just don't have that pull-through rate. And so I knew I wanted to work on this problem. I also knew that our problems were structural and systemic and social. And I think from a corporate perspective, we're constantly working on unconscious bias, which is good. We need it. And there is a lot of that going on. But there's also just structural things that get in the way from women being able to be successful. And one of these is how work is structured. You know, we have been working in this traditional framework of kind of part-time or full-time schedules for over 100 years. And there are times where women want to stay engaged, they want to stay contributing, but they need more control of how, where and when that happens. And we just don't, we don't have structures for that. So when I started thinking about it, I, I thought, gosh, we could do this better. And I actually was inspired by looking at the military. I'm an army brat, grew up in the, the army. And the military is interesting. You know, they have their active enlisted, you know, Marines and Army and Navy, Air Force, but they also have this reserve on-demand workforce. And these people have different day-to-day priorities, but they stay connected with them. They build their skills. They make sure that they're ready and on call. They feel very loyal to their brand. And then when they have a surge demand, they've got this on-demand workforce. We have an opportunity in corporate America to build our own on-demand workforce of people that know us, is loyal to us, connected to our brand, knows our customers and knows our technology. And who better to do that than people that have worked for us before, but need a different way to engage in work. We can just swipe them up into a reserve capability. My company manages that entire workforce for a company. We're embedded within the company. And then instead of going to outside external talent sources, you can tap into your own reserve talent pool that's made up of people that need a more flexible approach to work. And it's for both men and women, but we know right now that women disproportionately need that flexibility because right now women disproportionately bear the the majority of the burden for child care and just caregiving in general. How exciting has it been to go on this journey? Oh, so exciting. I wake up every single day and I feel like I'm on mission and and I am. I mean, I want to change the world for women and I want to create new systemic and structural opportunities for women to build their careers in a way that works for them and their families. Well, as we get set to wrap up here, I, I love how passionate you are about the experiences you've had, passionate about causes such as this equity promoting women, making sure that they've got as many opportunities as men and just continuing to, to promote that. I am passionate. I also feel called. I feel obligated. I, I just fundamentally believe to whom much is given, much is required. And I believe that it is all of our responsibilities to, to pay it forward and, and to help others and to build into others. I appreciate Certainly your time, Teresa, and uh, your perspectives. I know that if folks want to connect with you, they can visit Reserve Squad's website on social media and learn more about how they can engage in that conversation. I'm, I'm sure you'd be more than happy to talk to anybody out there who, who's got questions about how they can do that. Definitely. would love to hear from anybody. Teresa, thank you so much for the time sharing your incredible story. And, and I'm so excited to, to be able to watch the, the growth of the company. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for learning with us today. Did you enjoy the episode? Please share it along with someone you think would appreciate it. 
Subscribe and stay ahead of the curve with notifications of new episodes. Join the conversation and let us know what you think by tagging first person BA and using hashtag human resolve on social media. <laughs>